turn myself off. Good morning. <laughs> to those of you in the room, I, and you know, I, I, can't, I can see a lot of people in the room. I can't see people at home if you're wearing, you know, Buffalo Bills masks at home. I don't know. There's a lot of people wearing them here. So congratulations to the home team. We are in the second message here this morning, if you were with us last week, in this series, sort of our, our, our take two, part two in the book of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Abraham, the way forward. And we're going to be in Genesis 15, so you can open up there if you want to get that ready in a minute. But let me, let me kind of set the context of where we are this morning, because we started this series last Sunday, so um, some of you weren't here. It was, uh, we looked at the opening um, introduction to Abraham. It's not a famous passage in many cases, Genesis chapter 12. It's when Abraham gets this outrageous promise from God. And it's worth me saying just a minute about that because it sets the context for the whole, you know, the next 70 years, at least of biblical history in the rest of this series. God comes to Abraham, who is a guy really kind of at the end of his natural life. He ends up not being. He ends up living a little longer than most people. But in the sense of... For, for, for all uh, practical purposes, uh, as far as making your way in the world, certainly having children, he's kind of at the end of his life, so is his wife. And God comes to him and makes a, not a, a, a small promise, not a, you know, late in life promise, but a pretty outrageous promise. And he says, listen, I'm going to make a nation out of you, you know, not a family. I'm going to make a nation. And then he takes Abraham into what we end up calling later in the Bible, the promised land. It's a whole different geography, a property that Abraham goes. He leaves his family behind, as God told him, and he goes there and he walks out the geography, okay, in Genesis 12. It's unbelievable. You know, some of you have done this. You bought a piece of property and walked around the one acre. Well, this is, the, you know, what you would think of today as the, the, the nation of Israel, okay? That's what he walks around this property. And God says to him at the end of this journey, I'm going to give this to you, that is your progeny, your family, in the days to come. You're going to be a nation. I'm going to give this property to you. And, old man, you're going to have a child. In other words, it's going to come out of your own flesh and blood. Now, that would be an outrageous promise to anybody, okay? Anybody. But particularly, maybe this is God's point, it's especially outrageous to a man and his wife who were as old and childless and beyond the childbearing years as they were. That's, you know, that's chapter one, okay? That's what we looked at last week. Abraham says yes. He, he you know, swallows hard. He says, I don't know if this is true, but I'm, I'm, I'm going, he demonstrates what faith is, and he leaves behind his life as he knew it, okay? Think about this. He's a model for us, and God's not always calling me and you to leave my life behind as I know it, but faith is always about leaving things behind, leaving trust, leaving security, letting go of what we're trusting, and being open to what God may give us, what he will show you in the days to come. So this is what Abraham and his wife do, and it's a pretty amazing story. And if all we had was Genesis 12, we'd, we'd, we'd just be, we'd say, you know, he's, this was a great story. But as we open up Genesis chapter 15, here's, let me set the context. Um, ten years goes by, more or less, if you do the math. Almost ten years goes by, and an already old man and woman are ten years older, and there are no signs of this promise being kept none at all okay and it raises a very important question it's really the question of my, my my talk this morning and that is about the meaning of faith and that is this how does one continue you and me 
to trust in God's promises for us, right? Whatever God promises you or me, when the evidence against those promises are all around us, okay? How does one continue to trust God for things in this life when the evidence against those promises, right, seem to be all around us? Genesis 15, where we are, we're going to read um, more, get through all this chapter in, in a few minutes. We won't read it all right now. Let's read verses 1 through 8 in a message titled, The Meaning of Faith. The Meaning of Faith. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of his. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it. What you find here in Abraham, so I want you to think about your own life. As I said to you last week, and we'll say this throughout the week, you, you don't become a giant overnight, right? You don't become, you know, a superstar in the sense of faith overnight. You probably don't most of life either, right? You know, we, we, sometimes we see people throw that great touchdown pass, or we see people do something great, and, and in our, in our, in our um, own fantasy, we think that, you know, they just, they just just born with that kind of talent. Well, that doesn't typically happen, Okay? And it didn't happen with Abraham. That's why we're slowing down. He became, eventually, on his tomb, so it said, you know, the father of all those who believe, giant. But he didn't become a giant overnight. And here in this chapter, here's how we find him 10 years into the promise. If you listen carefully to the words I just read. He's fearful. Do not be afraid. What's he afraid of? Well, the opening verse said, after this, the word of the Lord came to him. Okay? The after this is, we didn't read it, is Abraham, because his, son, his, his nephew Lot got into some trouble, Sodom and Gomorrah story, we didn't look at it, and Abraham had to conduct an army, 300 people, that's how big his sort of you know, estate had become, he didn't have any children, but he had a lot of servants, his, and God had blessed him, and he has to put this army together and go to, to, go to battle against some of the other kings in the land of Canaan, where they were, to rescue his son. After this, you see, well, that's a great victory, but guess what? The anonymous Abraham, it's one thing to live anonymously, nobody knows who I am. You know, I just live in apartment C3, and I do my thing, and I don't even know anybody. They have no idea who I am. That's how Abraham was living for 10 years until he went to war, right, to rescue his nephew. We didn't look at it. All of a sudden, Abraham's now on people's radar, and it's not on for a good reason. And Abraham says, look, at, I've been here 10 years. Now I got all these people that are angry at me, and who knows what kind of retaliation is coming my way. And by the way, God, I'm not only vulnerable 
but I'm kind of frustrated. I'm actually angry with you. I don't know if you would take, uh, if you think this is anger. It sounds like it to me. You have given me no children. A servant in my household will be my heir. God, now it's time for me to tell you how we're going to do things. That sounds like to me, okay? So here's my first point. The problem of faith, think about your life, is waiting, okay? The problem of faith is waiting. This is the issue going on here. And Abraham had concluded, if you read these verses carefully, think about your own life. He concluded already by offering his servant, right? It's like saying, God, let me help you out. You know, This isn't really my flesh and blood. He's a servant of mine. He even has a name, so he's very specific. Eliezer, I like this one. You know, uh, God, I'm going to help you out. He's concluded that there will be no child, that God's not going to really co- co- commit his, in his promise. There will be no change in his life. Ten years has gone by, nothing's changed. And he's come to this decision. I think this is something to think about. He's decided that the future will be derived from the present. See, this is where the issue of faith comes in. Saying, listen, I still want to believe that I'm going to have a nation. I want to believe that I'm going to have a family. I believe that something's going to happen. But I'm not thinking about what could come from God, what could come from the outside of this closed system in, what God's going to bring to me, a miracle that my wife at you know, virtually 90 years old is going to have a child. That's not going to happen. I'm going to say that the future in my job, in future in my marriage, future in my career, the future, whatever God's calling you to do, it's really going to be derived from the present. So I'm going to do a little reconnaissance on my life, on reconnaissance on the life of my family or in the world that I live in and say, how can I make the most out of the promises of God and offer God uh, some, you know, some help here? But God says this. Okay, the word of the Lord came to him, right? Listen, not, no, not, not so, Abraham. Let me be very clear, Abraham. Maybe God said this to you. I know it's been a long time, and here's what you, you and I don't know, or, or he, he doesn't know, I'm sorry, we know, that God says it's gonna be, a, you're gonna have a son, wait for it, from your own flesh and blood, okay? This is not coming from anybody else. It's not gonna be some, you know, somebody else in your family, a cousin, a niece, a nephew, a servant. It's gonna be from your own flesh and blood. That's a way of saying it's gonna be your son. But he says to him, listen, Abraham, um, you, you, you're, it's going to be, what, here's what we know, because we, we know the rest of the story. It's going to be another 15 years. Can you imagine? Here's this guy at, tw- at 10 years in who's already in his mid-80s, and that's why he's coming up with these other opportunities. God said, listen, it's going to happen, so I want you to know that. But I want you to know something else, Abraham. Um, he does for Abraham what he doesn't do often for you and me, but it's important that you see this, and this is why it's in the Bible. He says to Abraham, it's going to be a while, but let me help you. I'm going to do what I don't always do for people. I'm going to open up the curtain and show you some of the reasons why your promise is going to be delayed, has been delayed and delayed more. Listen carefully. Verses 13 through 16 in this chapter. Then the Lord said to him, later in just a few verses more, Abraham kind of gets into this um, vision, another vision. He, he, he falls asleep and God comes to him. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. What's that? That's the growth of the nation of Israel 
That's the Egyptian sojourn, right? So what he's looking at, he's, he's, he's going forecasting. He said, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen. Your descendants, right? He doesn't know yet that it's going to be Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. He doesn't know that, those, that that family of 12 or that family of 70 in Egypt is going to become a family of 2 million. Right? He doesn't know that yet. But though, they're going to be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, right? Egypt in the, the, the um, margin. But I will punish that nation. They serve as slaves. Remember the great Exodus story? And afterward... They will come out with great possessions, Exodus 19 and 20. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. Now, he's going to give you another chapter of the Israel history. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. In other words, they're going to come back to the promised land after they've been taken into Egypt for 400 years. We call this the book of Joshua. We call this the conquering of the promised land. They will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, hold on. Don't turn off. Let me make sense of this for you. All he's saying to Abraham is, listen, I've made a promise to you, Bob, and this promise is big, and you're wondering why it's taking so long. He's saying, listen, here's why it's taking so long. Because although this is a promise to you, and although you are going to have a kid, and although you are going to have a nation, everything I said to you is going to be true. This promise is bigger than you. And there are not only other people that are going to benefit from this promise, wow, the whole nation of Israel, but also this promise, I'm going to execute some justice on the nations in the promised land, the Amorites, and the Canaanites are the same thing. And those people, I want to continue to have mercy on them. I want to continue to um, give them an opportunity to change their mind and maybe not to be so rebellious and against the, the words of God if you read the book of Deuteronomy. So I both want to help grow the promise to grow the nation. That's going to take lots of time. And number two, I want to be patient with the nations before I execute judgment. Some people have said to me, this is another sermon, I'd love the, I, I, I believe in the God of the Bible, but when I look at all that genocide in the book of Joshua, all that killing, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. Well, that's because you're not a careful reader of the Bible. I could give you that same data and say, listen, God actually reached out to the people, the nations in, in the lands of Canaan for hundreds of years. And in other passages, it says, they said, no, thank you. We don't want anything to do with you, and we're going to do what we want to do. And they lived such incredibly wicked lives, the book of Deuteronomy, that they were about to undo, like the flood, their own lives. And God said, listen, we have to come in and bring judgment. But he waited. And so what you see in these verses, he kind of puts Abraham to sleep and says, listen, Abraham, the problem of faith is waiting. But God isn't waiting. He's not making me and you wait because he can. He's not making me, God is not making you and me wait just because um, there's some sort of little lesson in there. He's saying, listen, Abraham, what I, got, what I promised you, this is how God works, right? There's so much more to the promise. Other people are going to be blessed in the promise. Other things are going to be accomplished in the promise. So you just need to trust me until all this unfold. See, God does that for Abraham. He doesn't always do it for us, but this is the reason. The reason it's delayed is the promise, your promise, my promise is not just for me. I don't know how many of you remember, um, made me think of this when I was thinking through this chapter, the, your, your, your Shakespeare studies from high school, right? 
But the, the, the story of Hamlet, one of Shakespeare's great tragedies, it's really a revenge play, those of you who remember it. And it's a revenge play. It's about a king, whose name is Hamlet, who gets murdered, right, by someone who wants his job. And his son, who's also named Hamlet, is very hurt. He loved his father. And in the opening act one, it's a, it's a lot of these conversations between Hamlet and his father, Hamlet Sr., the ghost, who's revealing to him what actually happened. But in, 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 in several of those um, episodes, some of his buddies, including his, one of his college buddies named Horatio, who sort of represents the college, you know, the, the college mind, you know, the, the rational man, he overhears a conversation between Hamlet and his father, the ghost, and he's standing there, and it's all over. And when it's over, it's famous act, end of act, uh, act uh, one, he says, uh, Horatio says, oh my gosh, this is crazy. What in the world is going on right now? This doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, listen, this is what Hamlet says. Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy. Notice, take a breath, Horatio, Mr. Wittenberg, you know, Mr. College student. You think that you know everything that's going on in the world? You don't. Right? That's what's happening here. There's more going on in heaven and earth, this is what God is saying to Abraham, than meets your philosophy. You have to trust me. God's gonna, God is going to answer your promises, but he's going to do it in his time because other things are going on that you don't see. Okay? I've been on a text thread for maybe um, almost a month. I looked back at it this week. And it's a woman from this church, great uh, uh, person, and she's been praying for this other young woman who's not a member of this church, a kind of a cousin of hers, who's young woman who's, um, who's been touch and go in the hospital for a month. And, and, and in this month, almost she, she, she gives an update almost every day. And there's about, I don't know how many, maybe 15, 18 people on this text thread. And every, almost every day there's a little nuance. Mostly there's not been a lot of progress, but it's been, pray, it's been specific prayers and please pray this and pray for this and pray for that and, and, and ask God for this. And, 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 and all these people, these dozen of people, it's just been fascinating to watch these people um, join the party of praying for this woman. But here's what I've noticed over, it's been almost a month. There's been almost no measurable change, right, in, in this, in this um, sick woman's life. And only recently, like, I mean, like three or four days ago, there was just a little modest uptick. She still might not make it. A modest uptick. And I thought to myself, as I thought about that modest uptick, I thought to myself, hmm, well, now we don't know if God's, God didn't make a promise to save this woman's life. But I, but I believe in prayer, and I'm praying every day with this group. And I thought, you know, maybe God is going to answer this prayer. Maybe. But I thought to myself, if God is going to answer this prayer to save this woman's life, why, oh, why is he dragging this out over the last five? What, what, what was the point of this month of no progress? And then it hit me. Well, maybe the point of this progress is these 14, 15 people, maybe some are Christians, some are not, are watching this miracle take place, are saying amen, are, are up in the balcony saying this, who have been drawn into this story, some like me who wouldn't know this woman if I saw, if I bumped into her in the hospital, have been drawn into this promise, see? The promise of faith is in waiting, yet God often does his best work in my life, in your life, while you're waiting for the promise to be answered. Point one. Second point, the problem of faith is believing in the Lord. Now, let me say, this is really maybe the heart of the message. 
The, pro- the power of faith is believing in the Lord. Now, in response to, to this, to fearful, angry Abraham, to discouraged Abraham, God gives him, very famous, some of you would know this, this vision, right? He says, so they must have been inside. He took him outside. Don't you love this? The Lord takes him outside. Abraham, come on out, however God does that, right? Come outside, and I want to take you outside. Now, I, I have to believe back here in, the, in, in ancient Canaan, you know, there weren't skyscrapers, okay? So they go outside, and, and if, it's, if it's not cloudy, I mean, you're looking at this gorgeous, you know, sky. And God's, God gives him a sign, right? Look up to the, at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Now, here's what's so amazing about this sign. Number one, although it's cool and it's a great story, in some ways it's very ordinary, Right? God doesn't say, come on outside and watch me walk. You can walk on water. Watch me you know, move the mountain. Watch me you know, uh, uh, open up a big uh, hole in the earth or, 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 or whatever. Right? It's not a miracle. Right? Number one, it's very ordinary. And probably Abraham and anybody else in this story had looked up at the sky the day before or the week before. It's ordinary. Number two, it proves nothing. Right? It's like me saying to you guys, look up and see all these lights and it's, I make some point. It doesn't really prove anything. Right? So it's very ordinary and proven. Yet, what's the point? It served, I think, as a visible word to help focus the promise. Okay? It served as a visible word you know, to help focus the promise in what way? Here's the point. I think this is what God's trying to say. Abraham, take a look up at the stars, which even today, thousands of years later, you and I are still amazed by stars, you know? We still don't know a lot about stars. But he looks up at the stars, not only to look at the reality of the stars, but then God says to him, count them if you're able. So what's the point? It's a visible way of saying, listen, Abraham, let me try to release you for a minute from the promise and the timing of the promise. How come this woman's not in my life? How come this job didn't show up? How, whatever. How come this health thing didn't reverse? How come, what, I want to just remove you just for a minute from your myopic focus on the promise. And I want to back you up to the person who made the promise. And all the point I want to make to you is this, Abraham. If I, if you believe this, I think Abraham did, if you believe that I actually created the world, if you believe that I actually created that the, the galaxies and the stars of the sky, which you don't even know what they are, but there's so many of them you can't count them, do you believe that? Yes. Well, then, Abraham, my friend, I think I can handle you having a son because that is peanuts compared to that. And it's at this point, even though it wasn't a dramatic miracle, but it was, it, was a, it was a shift of heart. It was a shift of mind. It was a shift of orientation. It's really, what the, it's really why Abraham is a model for us. Abraham makes a shift here. It's the one I'm encouraging you to make here right now in this room. It's a shift from the promises that are still undelivered in your life and undelivered in my life to the promise maker, right? That's the shift. And if you can shift from the timing of the promise to the credibility and of the promise maker, well, then you can begin to live your life in a different way. Look at these words. Paul's words in Romans chapter 4. Commentary on this passage. Against all hope, 
Wow. See, is faith easy? No. <laughs> no. Against all hope. I love this woman. You know, day 19, very little change. Almost nothing has changed. But um, there's this little tiny glimmer of hope. Please pray. Okay. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be, Genesis 15. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You see, you got to face the facts. See, some of us don't want to face those facts. We're still lying to ourselves, right? He wanted to face the fact that his body is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now, here's the key line. Being fully persuaded that the promise was wonderful? No, that God had the power to do what he promised. That's the key, right? You only need to know one thing, that God has the power to do what he's promised. Look up at the stars, right? And see, count them if you can. You need to be persuaded, not in the timing of the promise, because God has, oh, oh, my friend, oh, Horatio, there is more going on in heaven and earth than fits your philosophy. Who do you think you are? Do you think you actually know what God is doing in the lives of people and in the world? You could never know what he's doing, even in one life. Okay? You need to trust the promise maker. This is the choice that made him the father of faith, right? It's not about the promise. It's about being persuaded that God is the power to answer those, deliver on those promises, and you need to leave the timing to him, right? Whether it's a circumstance that's not expressly promised, God didn't promise this woman's gonna make it, right? Or I, God doesn't make those kind of direct promises. Whether it's a circumstance that's not expressly promised, but God still could very much be in that, or it is something that God has promised. There are a multitude of promises. Peace, wisdom, forgiveness, I'm gonna go down the list. In either case, you can live fully persuaded that God's going to keep the promises for your life. So here's the application. What have you stopped believing God for lately? Right? That's the key. What have you stopped? Where, where have you come, decided you're going to take things into your own hands? God, I'm going to help you out. The future is going to be derived from the present. How about Eliezer of Damascus? How about, you know, I know I've been praying about getting married, but, you know, uh, uh, instead of waiting for Mrs. or Mr. Wright, you know, how about this one? Or this job, I really felt I was called to do this work. You've given me the sense. I've got these gifts. But you know what? I'm just going to take the one that's offered. I'm going to stop looking altogether. Or, you know, I've been praying for my friend or my neighbor or my, my, my brother or my sister or this person that seems to be, you know, you've been encouraging me to pray for them, whether it's for their health or for their salvation. But, you know, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to do that anymore. All right? What have you stopped believing God for lately? You know, in the Gospels, you've seen this, but there's this, you know, oh, you of little faith. That happens many times. Jesus and the disciples. So we should take courage there because they too were of little faith just like Abraham was. And most of the time when you see, oh, we have little faith, it's when the disciples believe that the, the, power, in their, the, the, the power of Jesus, which is present with them in, in real time, 
is not bigger than the power in their lives. And one of the famous stories, there's many that are connected to this O ye of little faith, is Matthew chapter 8, where they're on the storm, you know, they're on the boat and there's a storm, and they're in the middle. And now here's the thing about the disciples in that case. They freak out, we're going to die, like you and I say that. It's not going to happen, I'm not going to make it. God's not here. Not only, they say that, they freak out. If you read Matthew chapter 8, not only do they know Jesus, like you and I know him, he's my Lord, my Savior, Jesus is in the boat, okay? Not only do they know him, Jesus is in the boat, and they still freak out. And Jesus calms the storm, and then he says to them, why are you afraid? Genesis 15, 1. Oh, you of little faith. Now, in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 8, the Bible's arranged on purpose for a way, staying right next to these stories, is Jesus and the centurion. Who's the centurion? Guys, this is, you know, 101, English 101. Not Jewish. He's a soldier. He's, 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 he's not pro-Israel. He's anti. He's the bad guy, good guy. All right? He's the wrong kind of person. Jesus says, the centurion knows Jesus is in town. The centurion has a sick servant. Right? And he says, this guy's just smart. Why not? I'm going to give it a try. Hey, Jesus, can you help me? You know, and the disciples are watching. And they're expecting him like the Samaritan woman, if you know that story, the woman, they're expecting Jesus to say, um, I don't deal with your kind. <laughs> and Jesus says, shall I come to your house and heal them? Wow. Not only is Jesus open to helping this guy out, but he says, shall I come to your house, which most Jews would never do. You know what the centurion says? You guys know the story. He says, uh, Lord, I know you're a busy man. And I know you've got a lot on your, ta- on your plate. And, uh, and I live on the other side of town. So why don't you just speak the word and, um, and then I'll just go my way and my servant will be. You know what Jesus said? It is, it, and, it, and if this sounds like a kick in the stomach, it kind of is. He, says, he looks to his disciples and he said, first of all, it says Jesus was amazed. I think, wow, what amazes Jesus? Our faith. Jesus was amazed and he said, listen, I have not found this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. In other words, it's like me saying, telling you a story about some guy I met in a boat or on the bus, and, 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 and I said, this guy who's not a Christian showed me more faith than anybody in this church. Wouldn't that be, you wouldn't feel that good about me if I said that, right? <laughs> okay. That's what he's saying. I have not found this kind of faith in anyone in Israel. The shift that needs to happen, the power of faith is in believing in the Lord. Guys, you need to get your eyes off of the individual promises and realize that there's more in heaven and earth that meets your philosophy and just be committed to the promise maker and trust that God knows what he's doing. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to make good on the promise and he said, I'm gonna let go of the timing, okay? I'm gonna let go of the timing. Last point. The proof of faith is in the self-sacrifice of God. This is a sermon in itself, but I'm just going to have to take a minute. The proof of faith is in the self-sacrifice of God. This is so rich. Um, Back in Matthew, or excuse me, uh, Genesis 15, verse 9. God is so gracious. Abraham says, I want this servant to be um, the solution. God says, no. Shows him the stars. But then, a few verses later that we read, 
He's, God says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm gonna, you're going to possess it. And God says, Abraham says, how am I going to know for sure that you're going to do it? In other words, he's still unconvinced. Verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Genesis 15, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now to you and me, this seems like, are we in the same conversation? What's this got to do with anything? But what he's talking about is a, is a covenant ritual that you will see now that Abraham does know what he's talking about. Abraham doesn't ask any questions. Abraham brought all these five animals, cut them in two, the animals, right, and arranged them in halves opposite each other. Think of like two um, lanes with a lane in the middle. However, he did not cut the birds in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Okay? As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, goes from strange to stranger, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. Imagine it. One lane of half of an animal pieces here. It's a sacrificial ritual. Empty lane. One lane on sort of a makeshift altar of the other half. In between, while Abraham's in this sort of sleep state, the sun gets dark. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. Think, we call this theophany. It's a fancy word to say it's the presence of God. Okay, appeared and passed between the pieces. And then this announcement, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt, these are geographical references, to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kezanites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites, those are all important terms. They're saying, listen, the people, the Amorites, this land that you just walked out, it is going to be yours. Well, what's this, the meaning of this? When I say the self, the proof of faith is the self-sacrifice of God. This is an ancient um, covenant ritual. If you, if you look at the sermon guides, you can look at it. I give you a, an example of one where you see this explained in the book of Jeremiah. But it's, it's, it's kind of like a loan guarantee, right? If today I took out this loan, I don't know, and, 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 and Craig's going to co-sign that loan, and, and, and it's, we're making this deal. I'm doing it, you're co-signing it, and it's, it's an official kind of deal. That's what this particular covenant ritual was in those days. And what they would do is this. I would make a deal... And we would cut these pieces if it was something really important, like a marriage or a contract of a property. And we would do this, and then I would walk the lane, and Craig would walk the lane. And what we would be saying in this blood oath is, in a manner of speaking, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may I end up like one of these animals. And if you don't keep your end of the bargain, may you end up like one of these animals. That's what's going on. And Abraham knew that. When God told him to get these five animals, he didn't ask for instructions. You and I don't know that because that's not our culture. But Abraham knew that. But here was the miracle. Only God walked the blank. Because right? it's an unqualified, one-sided commitment. This is the covenant. It's the same in Jesus Christ. God said, listen, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a quid pro quo. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
um, you know, uh, uh, Christ gave his life on the cross for us. God said, listen, I'm going to put myself on the line. And the only thing that you need to do, friends, in response is verse 6, which becomes one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Abraham believed the Lord, right? And it was credited to him as righteousness. He said, listen, what, what is the power of faith? It's believing in the Lord. But the basis of that belief, the underlying conviction of that belief is not that God gives me things when I want them. The underlying conviction that supports my faith is the overwhelming love of God. Once you understand, see, this is what changed Abraham, that listen, the timing I have to leave up to God, but the person behind those promises not only is powerful, oh my goodness, look at the stars and count them if you can, but he loves me beyond anything else I could ever know. And he walks through those pieces and he says to Abraham, this is the God Almighty, so may my life be ended. May I be cut off if I don't keep my promises to you. See? This is the love of God. This is what the Bible speaks about. And once that gets a hold of our hearts, guys, um, it can change you. It can change me. Uh, the promise, the problem of faith is waiting. The power of faith is in believing in the Lord. And the proof of faith is in the self-sacrifice of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these uh, minutes we had this morning. I ask for your blessing as we, Lord, consider this, this big and powerful story in uh, the life of Abraham and the life of Sarah. Lord, uh, we sometimes um, think that um, being a Christian is, um, you know, a, a passive experience or something where we, we just kind of, you know, get up and... and um, and, and listen, but Lord, you've called us to a life of, of true engagement, and that engagement, more than anything, is an engagement with the living God, and Lord, with a God who is so powerful, and, and Lord, who is sovereign over all things, but also a God who knows our name, and who makes specific promises, and a God who, um, beyond all other attributes, is a God of amazing love. Help us to know that this morning, God. And I pray for us, even in, in this room and online, as we think about where we have, where I have stopped believing. Um, you know, where, where, what have I stopped believing God for? What have I stopped believing you for, Lord? Where have I given up? Where have I decided that I'm just going to make the most of what I thought was a promise or promise is of God in my life? To, you know, to only, um, you know, seek my answers from what I can manage in this world. I pray you'd help me, Lord, to repent of that thinking. To reorient my heart, our hearts, to a self-sacrificing God, to a promise maker. Help me, help us to be fully persuaded that you do have the power to do in our lives whatever it is that you've promised us, and help us to leave the timing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.